messages uh, drawn from Paul's first letter to the Galatians uh, and I invite you to have your Bibles open at that uh, passage, uh, page 982 if I've got the same Bible as you have uh, and we'll be looking at the first five verses this morning. If I could again perhaps just say a little bit about the sheet that I hope you've received, uh, there's more or less the, the major verse is highlighted there on the front. On the back especially for the children, but not just for the children. Uh, there are a number of uh, multiple choice answers there based on uh, the message that you'll receive and you might like to just uh, keep an eye on that. And uh, children, when you get home, you can check out whether the parents were listening by asking them uh, the answers to the questions. On the inside, there's a map or a couple of maps about uh, Paul's first two missionary journeys. And it hasn't come out very well, but some of you may have one of these where you've got a little bit of yellow showing on Galatia. It's a region, as I said, like, like the state of, New, of ooh, state of Victoria. Uh, and so it's, it's not to a town, but to a number of towns in that region. And then there's an article uh, taken from uh, Reverend John Stott's commentary on the message of Galatians just on Paul's authority, and a matter which we'll be addressing during the message this morning. But let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for those whom you uh, inspired to, to proclaim it. We ask now that as we sit under the authority of your word, that you would speak to us. Make this, we pray, a personal letter to each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. I've already asked the children if they liked uh, uh, receiving letters and I think I could ask you much the same question. Do you, but I'll put it slightly differently, do you check your letterbox every day? Well, if you're in town, you can. I realise some, some people are out of town and you don't have that opportunity. But if you're at home, then... Uh, uh, you certainly do. And I wonder, the last two Fridays at our place, we haven't got any mail. And I'm wondering if the post office has cut back to four days a week. Not really. But, you know, we like to receive letters, don't we? Uh, uh, we know, perhaps, that bills are more likely to be in the mail than personal letters. But, but we live in hope. Uh, and even if we're not good letter writers... We certainly hope that some of our relatives and friends are. Then, of course, at Christmas time, you do get, uh, I presume, you got a, a sort of an inundation of, of letters, and you're glad to receive them, even if it's only uh, the only time that you hear from most of the people who write to you is once a year. But, well, we're not going to knock that back, are we? There they are, very often neatly printed on, on special paper. Uh, they often have photos included, especially now with the proliferation of of printers, uh, but I wonder if you're like me, you still like that little handwritten part at the end of the letter, which makes it just that more personal. Of course, we also know that not all personal letters, not even personal letters, are good news letters. And perhaps as you, as you pick it up and you look at the writing on an envelope, do you do that? Do you try and work out who it's from by, by the style of writing? Uh, even as you look at, and then you look at the back to see if they've got a little sticker saying who it's from. Even as you do that, you may be asking yourself, 
Why has this person written to me after all this time? I haven't heard from them for years. What's happened that's made a letter necessary? Those sorts of thoughts can go through our minds, can't they? I don't think it happens now, but there was a time at least when uh, if you received a letter which was uh, informing you of a death, then there was a black border all the way around the envelope so that you knew really before you opened it uh, that it was not going to be good news. And all that is the background to to thinking, well, these people of Galatia, uh, the the Apostle Paul has written to them. Uh, Why has he done that? Why has he written to us? Uh, What's he going to say to us? And I'm sure the the word would have got got around very quickly. Hey, there's a letter from Paul uh, and we should gather together to hear it. And I hope as we work our way through this letter... Uh, that we will all regard it as a, as a personal letter to us. And today as we begin, there are, there are two particular items that I want us to note in these first five verses. First is uh, to think about the author of the letter. And the second is to think about the gospel that he proclaims. The author and the gospel. And uh, this letter to the Galatians is so important that I can summarise it by saying this, to grasp the message of Galatians is to grasp the message of the gospel. To grasp the message of the letter to the Galatians is to grasp the message of the gospel. Well, let's have a look then. First of all, at the author. Now, I'm, I'm proceeding on the view that this is the earliest of Paul's letters and therefore... Only the letter of James was written prior to this letter of Paul to the Galatians. There are some arguments about just when it was was written, but but that's the the point of view I'm taking. Uh, And that means it's uh, it's written less than 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So that uh, if, if Paul had written a date on it, like we often do on our letters, if Paul had written a date on it, uh, it would have been AD 48 or, or AD 49. Jesus was crucified in AD 33. But, but why? Why should Paul write to the Christians in Galatia? Why not Peter? Why not one of the other apostles? Well, the answer is that in God's providence, it was Paul and Barnabas who had taken the message of the gospel to this area of Galatia, part of, of modern-day Turkey, uh, and to the cities there. And if we'd read uh, more of Acts chapter 13, we would have seen that they went to the cities of Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and Derby. And it was through Paul and Barnabas that the people of that region heard that since the Jews rejected the gospel and did not consider themselves worthy to receive eternal life, that the gospel was proclaimed to the Gentiles. This was a great shift in the life of the early church. It was through Paul and Barnabas, as it's said elsewhere, that all who were appointed to eternal life believed. Now, whenever you and I receive a letter, there's, there's some sort of relationship, isn't there, between the person who sent the letter and the person who received it. So it might be, if it's a personal letter, it might be a family relationship. It might be a husband writing to his wife 
or a parent to a child, or a brother to a sister, or vice versa. And there are all sorts of combinations we can have. Or it might be a business relationship. So it might be a letter from your bank manager, or the real estate agent, or a solicitor, or the insurance company, anything like that. But there's always this connection between the sender and the receiver. And in the case of the Galatians, the sender is an apostle. You notice that? Paul writes as an apostle. Now the word apostle literally means someone who is sent. Someone who is sent. And in this even stricter sense, an apostle was a person who was an authoritative, authoritative witness to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, that might raise questions for you. Paul was not a member of the original 12 apostles. That being the case, that's why in another place, Paul describes himself as one who was abnormally born. And yet he had seen, and in fact was the last of the apostles to see the risen Christ. Think about Jesus' appearance to him on the road to Damascus. But Paul was also one who possessed the power to perform miracles. And that was another qualification of a true apostle. And Paul, because that's the way he starts, he's obviously keen to emphasise this as a prelude to what he's going to write. So if I can paraphrase him, we can say like this. Look, you need to read, mark, learn and inwardly digest what I'm going to say, not just because I'm Paul, but because I'm a sent one because I'm an apostle. And so, to drive the point home, he reminds them of how he received this apostleship. What does he say? He's sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. And again, if we can paraphrase it, we can say, look, if you think Peter, who... who uh, is often regarded as the, as the first of the apostles. If you think he, the, the one who addressed the crowds in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, if you think he made me an apostle, you're wrong. If you think Ananias, that, that man who baptised me in Damascus after I'd seen the Lord on the road, if you think Ananias made me an apostle, you're wrong. If you think that some church council or some church assembly made me an apostle, well again, you're wrong. It didn't. I'm an apostle because God made me one. I may have been chosen at a different time than Peter and the other apostles, but just as Jesus chose and called them, so Jesus chose and called me, Paul. And that's why Paul can write in such an authoritative manner. He's really writing in the name of Jesus Christ, whom God the Father raised from the dead. And that being the case, he can appeal to no higher authority, can he? But do we realise what that means if Paul can write with such authority? It means that to reject Paul and what he tells us is to reject Christ. To reject Paul is to reject Christ. Now, of course, that's true of all the New Testament writings. We have no other way of knowing about Jesus than by reading the apostolic record. So to reject them, whether it's 
Paul or James or Peter or any other New Testament gospel writer. Uh, to reject them is to reject Christ. Now, in the, in, the, in the book of Acts, we're told that the Galatian Jews rejected Paul and with him Barnabas. They rejected them and the message that they brought. And in so doing, they rejected Christ. The, the Galatian Gentiles, on the other hand, they accepted Paul and Barnabas and their message. And in so doing, they had their sins forgiven and by believing, received eternal life. And that obviously, surely, puts us in the same situation. For us to reject Paul would be to reject Christ. Paul was the human author of this and a number of other letters in the New Testament. But if Jesus had written them, if they came from Jesus instead of from Paul, the content would have been no different. So when you come across something that Paul wrote and you perhaps don't like it, there are some people who say that Paul was very anti-women, for instance. Well, if you read Paul and you find, oh, I don't like that, then can I say, brethren, take care. Take care in your response to what the apostle says because it may have his signature, but it's really from Christ himself. And uh, that little article I printed from John Stott goes on to, to tell you more about that point. But let's move to the gospel, because important as Paul's authority is as an apostle, the gospel, in a sense, is more important still. It's often been said, and quite rightly, that John chapter 3.16 sums up the gospel. I'm sure that many of you could tell it to me. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's the gospel in a nutshell, the gospel in a verse. And that's good news, isn't it? And that's what gospel means, good news. Paul gives us another summary in uh, verses 3 and 4 here in Galatians. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm emphasizing the word gave because that's the real kernel of the gospel, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. That's the gospel. That's John 3.16, but in different words. And it's very similar to Mark chapter 10, verse 45, the, the words of Jesus himself who said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In a sense, that's John chapter 3, verse 16, all over again in different words. And, and the letter to Titus, chapter 2, at verse 14. Imagine it again. Our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for, our, for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do good. All of those are, are summaries of the gospel. Now, these statements that Paul makes in verses 3 and 4, and 5 actually, uh, they need to be looked at in a bit more detail because each of them says something about the gospel. First of all, 
Paul says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, he says, who gave himself for our sins. Thirdly, he says, to rescue us from the present evil age. Fourthly, he says, according to the will of our God and Father. And fifthly, he says, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's just look at those briefly. The gospel is sometimes called the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace. And a brief biblical definition of grace is this. It's in two words, grace is undeserved mercy. Undeserved mercy. And so the gospel of grace describes God's friendly disposition, God's goodwill, God's loving kindness, freely and generously given. And so when we sang marvellous, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed on all who believe, that's, that's, that's it. That's wonderfully put. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace that is greater than all my sin. The gospel is the gospel of grace. But it's also sometimes called the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. And it's the gospel of peace because a believing response to the gospel gives the believer peace with God, peace with God and the peace of God. Because the conflict between God and man is brought to an end. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. That's why it's the gospel of peace. The conflict between God and man is brought to an end. That's good news indeed, isn't it? Because there can only be one winner. No wonder Isaiah could anticipate and Paul could reiterate the words, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. And again, we sang it. My sin, or oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. The only response can be, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. It's sometimes called the gospel of peace, but most often the gospel is called the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ. It's the gospel of Christ because he is the one who gives substance to the good news. In a later letter, and some of you might uh, be able to tell me later which letter it is, a later letter that Paul wrote, he put it like this. He said, now brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. And he goes on to say, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. That's the gospel of Christ because it's centered around Christ. No, sorry, I should say Christ is the center of the gospel. Jesus died, was buried and was raised and all with a specific purpose in mind. 
And here's how Paul put it to the Galatians. The Lord Jesus gave himself for our sins, gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. Paul wrote that, you know, getting close to 2,000 years ago, but surely even today, would anybody disagree that the age in which we live is evil? Just turn on the TV, listen to the radio, read the newspapers. You can even ignore them all, but you still wouldn't get away from it, would you? We live in an evil age. And, says Paul, it's for this very reason that Christ has come on his rescue mission. I want to ask you, therefore, has Christ rescued you? Has Christ rescued you? Christ came on this rescue mission in accordance with God the Father's will. This was and is a carefully planned rescue mission. This is not a knee-jerk reaction because something has accidentally gone wrong. We can think about tsunamis or cyclones or floods, and you people especially can think about floods, and bushfires and earthquakes, and they can catch people unawares. And all the rescue efforts, of course, are catch-ups. They're trying to repair the damage. But Christ's rescue mission was planned in eternity, even before the foundation of the world. I need to repeat myself here. The Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. It's for this reason that Christ has come on his rescue mission. So let me ask you once again, please ponder it carefully. Has Christ rescued you? Has Christ rescued you? It's no wonder, as, as Christ writes about this gospel, that Paul bursts into praise. Now, such descriptions of praise usually come at the end. But Paul is so staggered by the wonder of the gospel that he can't contain himself. And so, never mind that this is, and we're looking at, at verse 5 now, uh, No, never mind that this is just the fifth verse of this gospel. In fact, if you look carefully at the punctuation, we're still in his first sentence. Yeah, whoever put the... the verse numbers in uh, didn't go according to sentences. This is just the end of his first sentence. Uh, and that makes, and he's into praise. What's he say? To whom be glory forever and ever. And that's what I think, and I'll just toss this in, this is what makes beginning our services with a doxology and ending them with a benediction, that's just what makes it so appropriate, doesn't it? We don't have to wait till the end of the service to praise God. Why not do it at the beginning and the end? The obvious question, therefore, in conclusion to ask is this. What's your reaction to the gospel? Do you have a, a take-it-or-leave-it attitude? Or do you realise that without this gospel, there would be no rescuing of you from your sins and the punishment that they deserve? 
Again, in, in the, the book of Acts, we read that when the people of Gal the Galatian region, the Gentiles especially, when they heard, first heard this gospel, we're told they were glad and honoured the word of the Lord. A bit disappointed with that translation. Glad, that's an understatement. The word's usually translated rejoiced. And surely that's what the people of the Galatian region did. They rejoiced, and why not? Why not? But again, let me seek to press the point home. Is that your response? Is that your response? In other words, have you grasped the gospel? Have you grasped the gospel? Let's pray. Father, we do want to give you praise for the, the wonders of this gospel of your grace and peace, this gospel of the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he is the one who gives substance to it. He is the one around whom the gospel revolves. We pray that you would grant to us that same response that those Christians in Galatia did, that they were glad, they were rejoiced to hear of what you had done for them in your son, the Lord Jesus. Please bring it home to us in fresh freshness and the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.